Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at uh, Christmas possible. Uh, many of us, many of the world, would, they love this time of year. They love the selection boxes and the tinsel and the lights and all these things. But um, as the actual Christmas story and the real reason why we celebrate this season, maybe they think, maybe that's a wee bit too far-fetched. So over the next few weeks, I want to look at things that people might think are impossible um, things that people would struggle with when it comes to the Christmas story and actually show us how Christmas is possible. Um, and, I, and I love even, if I'd been even more clever, I could put an apostrophe between the I and the M and Christmas, I'm possible. Do you know, because God is the great I am and all things are possible through him. But this morning, I want us to look at prophecies fulfilled, that, that actually that through um, this morning, as we look um, at, at God's Word, we're going to see how that in Jesus, we find the fulfillment of prophecies from of old. Those are maybe things that people think are a wee bit too far-fetched, that this, this book that we, that we gather around on a Sunday morning, that, that maybe it looks a wee bit crazy, but we're going to look at it this morning and see how actually it is all part of God's amazing, amazing plan. Over the next few weeks, we'll look at, as I said this morning, we'll look at prophecies being fulfilled, and then we're going to look at uh, angelic beings and the amazing interaction we see around the Christmas story with that. <coughs> then we're going to look at the virgin birth, and we're going to look at the incarnation, God becoming man. So massive, massive topics, big subjects that, that some people maybe think are a wee bit too far-fetched. You know, I can take the Christmas carols and a baby being born, but see all this other big stuff that I, I really struggle with that. And what I want us to see is as we read God's word, that actually it is so true and so amazing. Uh, and without these things, that actually we don't have a Christmas message, we don't have a Christmas story. So this morning I want to look at prophecies being fulfilled. What do I mean by that? That's a good place to start. A prophecy is a, a promise or a statement that tells us something that will happen at some point in the future. That, that is a really simplified explanation of what a prophecy is. It's something that, that is said in the Old Testament, that's said at one point, and that actually it will come true. It will come to pass. Now, there are literally hundreds of prophecies that I could have chosen from this morning, but I wanted to look at Micah and Matthew, these, these two different passages in this morning. But what, what we'll see is that actually it's been a plan on all, all along. That as we go through the pages of Scripture, through the Old Testament, what we see is God's blueprint for what would happen. It wasn't like one day, you know, God the Father woke up and thought, you know, Jesus, my son, I think I'm going to send you to earth. That's not what happened. It was always part of God's plan. And as we read the Scriptures, we see this amazing blueprint. I wonder how many of you have done an escape the room. Have you ever done an escape the room where you, you go, and maybe some of us have, maybe some of us haven't. If we haven't, I'll explain what it is. It's where you go um, and, and you pay to get locked, <laughs> locked in a room for fun, uh, and you have to try and escape from that room. It really is good fun, uh, where you have to find different clues, and you, you follow these clues, and you follow um, this kind of, basically, it's like a story that's been told within the room. You go to different points, and it leads you around this room, and eventually, you, you find the, 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 the main clue you're looking for for which is the key. That's the big revelation. You get the key and then you can unlock it or get a combination, whatever it is. 
And it's, it's great fun. And I've done them a, a number of times. Um, uh, but one of the ones that was terrible was that we accidentally stumbled across the key within the first five minutes. You get about an hour. Uh, and we came across the key within the first five minutes. And actually, it, it ruined the whole thing because it, part of the excitement and the, the, the thrill of it is that you, you journey through it around this room and you have to figure things out and you have to find different clues and interpret what they mean and all this. And accidentally we found the key pretty much within the first five or ten minutes. And why am I telling you that? Well, really, friends, what we have through the Old Testament are like these clues, these signs that, that are meant to lead us. It's like a blueprint. It's, like a sto- it's a story that's been told, and it's amazingly woven together. And what it's meant to lead us to is this amazing revelation about at the beginning of the Gospels is who this baby is. And how can we know who this baby is? Well, you have to read the Old Testament. It's just amazing. It's like an escape the room. You follow this, this, um, this story that the, the person has put together, different clues, and you follow it around, and it leads you to this point and that point. And you can feel as you're going around the room just a sense of excitement as you're getting closer and you're seeing the clock run down and all these things. Well, actually, as we read the Old Testament, there's a sense of that as well. That, that as we read it, there's this, there's this anticipation growing of this person who's going to come. And who is that person? Well, we have this amazing blueprint that God has given us in the Old Testament. And it tells us who he is. And this morning, like I said, I could have chosen hundreds of different prophecies. But this morning, I wanted to look at Micah chapter 5, and in particular, verse 2. And again, that's on 779 or there or thereabouts of your, your pew Bible. Now, Micah, he was a real guy. He was a real person. And Micah lived in the southern kingdom of Judea. And he lived roughly around 750 to 700 BC. Now note how long that is before Jesus came. Over 700 years before Jesus came, we have Micah standing in front of the the people of Israel, in front of God's people, telling them this word from the Lord as one of God's prophets. And again, as was often the case, because Micah, this, what we find as we read the book of Micah, we see that as often happens, God's people, they turn their back on God. They've been living with him. They've known his blessing. And then all of a sudden, they, they fall into sin again, and they turn their backs on God. And here Micah is shouting him, saying, guys, you need to turn back and face God. Repent and come back to him. And if you don't, there's going to be judgment coming your way. And part of that judgment, Micah says, is that the surrounding countries, you're going to have an invasion from them. They're going to come and invade you. There's going to be consequences to your actions and to your sins because you've rebelled against God. And most of the book of Micah deals with Micah warning God's people, guys, stop living in sin. Stop rebelling. Turn back and face God. Come back to him. There's going to be judgment coming your way. But alongside that, and, and often what, and always what we see when we, when we read about these judgments that have been spoken about in the Old Testament is that, that God still gives this amazing um, glimmer and, and, and little piece of hope and mercy that's still going to be there. That alongside these, this message of, of, of turn back, there's judgment coming, there's a message of hope that Micah gives to the people. In chapters 1 and 2 of Micah, what we have is this warning and and accusations about what God's people have been doing and why it's wrong. A judgment is going to be coming after over nearly 500 years of rebellion. 
Chapters 3 and 4a, what we find is that we, we see that Micah speaking to the leaders of Israel and, 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 and the prophets of Israel as well, that, that they've, they've turned their back on what God really wanted them to do. That they'd been basically lying to the people that you can pay for things and you can please God doing giving things and doing things and all that. And actually, what God wanted was his people to live a holy life, to live how he'd called them to live. Turn away from that, Micah saying. And if you don't, there's going to be oppression coming from a nation who's going to invade you. But that isn't the final word that Micah gives, though. Micah gives hope that even though that's going to be the case, hope is still there. Mercy will triumph over judgment. There is constant hope given in God's message that after all this, that after this invasion that's going to come, we basically read what we've read this morning in chapter 5. This message of hope that, that out of Bethlehem, this tiny little town, that a king is going to be born. That a shepherd is going to come. That God will give his people, God will be like a shepherd to his people again, even though they've rejected him. And there'll be a reduced number of people left. There'll be a remnant. But God will be faithful to them. And he will love them. He will be with them. He will shepherd them. He will rule over them. And they will dwell securely with him. And that king who would come, we're told where he'd be born and whose family he'd be part of. Bethlehem. And also David. And again, this this line of promises that we find throughout the Old Testament, that, that from David, the kingdom that would come, that would be from everlasting to everlasting, God continues to build upon this promise when he speaks to his people. See, what we need to know is that when we read these verses, like in, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 2, from the verses from Micah, that, that, that those verses that Matthew's quoting from, from the, the, the book of Micah and the Old Testament or the, or the Hebrew Bible, it's that they're, they're real people. It's a real situation. It's not just some sort of fairy tale that he's, he's giving to extend um, his story, that this is a real situation. It's a real people. It's a real context that Micah finds himself in. And what I love is that even in the midst of all that chaos and all that hurt and rebellion that God gives this glimmer of hope, that we find this prophetic promise that God gives. But you, O Bethlehem, Micah 5 verse 2, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This isn't a new message that Micah's speaking. This is all part of God's amazing redemption plan that we find all over the Old Testament. We thought about um, temptation and, and sin in the Garden of Eden over the last couple of Sundays. And, and even in that, where, where God is, is speaking to, to the serpent and he's speaking to, to the woman, in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin has just entered the world. And what God says is amazing. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is to the serpent and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
even in that, just after sin comes, we have this message, this promise, this prophetic declaration that this isn't the end of the story. In Genesis chapter 3, and as we continue through the Old Testament, and as we get to Micah 5, and as we go all the way through to the, Old, the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, we find this constant, it's like a drumbeat. There's someone coming. There's someone coming. I know things are bad, but someone's coming. Things look terrible as God's people just now, but hold on with hope. Someone is coming. I've promised you that I'm going to send someone. And it is amazing to see. But if we don't read the Old Testament, we don't see these amazing, this amazing blueprint. We don't capture the whole story of anticipation that God's people had. We have, we have four candles to light in Advent. Hundreds and nearly thousands of years God's people were waiting for this person to come. And in Micah 5, 1, where, where God speaks and he says through Micah that, that this invasion is coming. We see that in Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Muster your troops. Siege is laid against us. This is the invasion. This is God's judgment that is coming through, most likely at an attack from King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. Things are looking bleak, but as, that, as we see often what happens is things are looking hard, but then God, and, and it's one of my favorite words in the Bible, but, but from you. Things look bad, but from you, O Bethlehem. Things are bad for Jerusalem, but for you, O Bethlehem, who are too little. See the contrast that stands there. Micah, as a prophet of God, speaks for the Lord directly. Out of Bethlehem, one will come. And it stands in contrast between the weak king of verse 1 of chapter 5, who with a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. That's the ruler of Israel. But, oh Bethlehem, there's a king coming. If we can go on to the next slide with the next part of verse 2, we'll see it. From you shall come forth through me one who's to be ruler in Israel from ancient days. It stands in contrast and it goes on to speak about his reign as well. Small in size, you're too little. That's why we sing, oh little town of Bethlehem, there still we see you lie. In comparison to all the other cities and towns, you're small, but God has chosen you. And from this place of insignificance, God calls forth a ruler. From you a king shall come. Let me jump to Matthew chapter 2, and we read of this birth of this baby, this Jesus who has been born. We read of his birth, and we, 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 we're, as we read Micah, we, we should have this anticipation that one day a king's going to come. God has decreed it, he's declared it, and he's prophetically promised it. And as God's people then wait for another hun hundreds of years... They're waiting for this king. Now, the, the, this baby is born, the wise men, they follow the star, and they, they, they know that a king of the Jews has been born. So where would you go to find a king's birth? Well, obviously, you go to the palace. That, that's where you go. That's where surely the royal birth has taken place. But as we know the Christmas story, Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He's born and he's placed in a manger in Bethlehem. And this news to King Herod is frightening. It terrifies him because he knows that, that the, of the legitimacy of this baby who's born, of his right to be king. He's come from the line of David. That is the promise that's given through the Old Testament. That's why he is terrified. He's troubled. 
So what does Herod do? He gathers all the religious leaders in that day and asks him, where is the Christ? Where is the Messiah? Where is the promised one to be born? And Herod shows some sort of superficial knowledge of Scripture. He had some sort of knowledge because he knew that the one who's been born king of the Jews, who, who has this star, then is this the one that we've been waiting for? For all these hundreds of years, is he now, has he now come? Because <coughs> if he has, that means trouble for me and my rule and my reign. So he asks the guys that he gathers, where's this baby going to be born? Where is this baby going to be born? Where's this person born? And we see that even though it's over 2,000 years ago for us, that they knew where to go. They knew how to find the answer. Where do they turn to? They turn to the pages of Scripture. Why? Because they know God's blueprint. That God has given this map through the Old Testament of who's going to come, where he's going to be born, and what he's going to do. Bethlehem, they say. Micah 5 tells us that it's in Bethlehem that this ruler, that this king is going to be born. It's not in Jerusalem. How do they know that? The Bible tells us so. The Bible speaks. The Bible interprets itself. The Bible gives us truth. It's a blueprint. It's a map for us. So you see that even though we have a real-life event and context in Micah's day over 750 BC where Micah's speaking about this invasion is coming, that God gives us amazing prophetic promise that even though this is happening and there's an invasion coming, I'm telling you, Micah, tell the people, hold on with hope. I'm still going to pull through for my people because I'm a covenant-keeping God. Let me see this beautiful golden nugget of hope in Micah 5. This promise, this prophecy but the one who would come, which finds its reality. This one who's been born from the Virgin Mary, Jesus. And the Old Testament, it paints a picture of who this baby born, who, who he would be and why he would come and, and of, of his life. And the New Testament shows us in amazing detail of the one that the Old Testament so wonderfully describes. And what this does is it gives credit to the legitimacy of the Christmas story. Over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, that the place of his birth is already told. And so much trust was put in that the religious leaders could tell Herod to tell the wise men, that's where you go. God has already decreed it. It's going to happen. And this is the second in Matthew's gospel. This is the second of five Old Testament prophecies that, Micah, that Matthew pulls on in his opening three chapters. It's the second out of five. I mean, this guy, Jesus, who has a collection of writings about him before he's born, no other man in history has had that. Now, you might think, well, that's a lucky guess. They could have, that, that was just a coincidence. They could have chosen a couple of other places, but they, they settled in Bethlehem, and that, that's, that's a coincidence. And maybe if it was only one or two things that kind of proved to be right, I'd maybe, yeah, maybe there's some truth in what you're saying, because even a broken clock is right twice a day. But Jesus didn't just fill, fulfill one or two prophecies about himself. Jesus went on to fulfill over 300 Old Testament prophecies. 
Over 300 Old Testament prophecies that speak about who this man would be, where he'd be born, what he would do, how he would die, where he'd be buried. It maps out his life. That's not a coincidence. That isn't a coincidence. 29 of those prophecies fulfilled by Jesus in a single day. The Old Testament, the scriptures are amazing. Now we have people in our church who work in what I would call detailed-based professions. We have cops, we have people who work in courts, we have people who work in the banking, we have people who are lawyers and solicitors, we have accountants, we have people who are medical professionals. Jobs where details and evidence, that, that, that is what their job depends on. Look at the evidence. Over 350 Old Testament prophecies about who Jesus would be, where he'd be born, what he would do, the manner of his death, where he'd be buried. What do you do with that? As Nicky Gumbel says in Alpha, there's only three options. Either this Jesus, he, he's a liar. He, he lies about who he is. He's either a liar or he's a madman. He genuinely thinks this is true. Or the third option is he's telling the truth. Has to be one of those three. Where do you settle? Is he a, li is he a liar who lied about all these things? Was he deluded and, and thought these things about himself were actually true? Or maybe, just maybe, with the evidence given, over 300 Old Testament prophecies that who this man says he is, maybe he's true. Maybe he is the truth. And just as we look to close this morning, what do we do with that evidence? Over 350 Old Testament prophecies. Speaking of his coming, why he would come, what he would do, where he'd be born, the manner of his death, a glimpse into his life. 39 books in the Old Testament written across the span of time of hundreds and hundreds of years, written by different people in different contexts, in different situations, in different places, from different families. Some never met, most of them never met each other. The first one in either Genesis or Job are the two oldest, written most likely by Moses over 1400 BC. But even there we have promises of this one who would come. All the way through to Malachi, where he's still giving us these promises about this one who would come. 39 books of the Old Testament testifying to the Messiah, the Christ. Then 400 years of silence between the Old Testament from the book of Malachi to this baby being born. What do we do with that evidence? We have a decision to make. We should be amazed by the scriptures. That God's people from Adam and Eve right up to Malachi were given promises of this one who would come, the anticipated one. And we here today on this side of the cross, we look back. People in the Old Testament, they looked forward with hope. They longed for the Messiah to come. But on this side of the cross, we look back and we're amazed at God's amazing plan of redemption. The amazing blueprint. But there's still a promise we hold on to even on this side of the cross. And we look forward to it being fulfilled in hope that he will come again. That he will come again. And may we never lose the awe of God's redemption plan 
And no wonder the, in the Christmas carol, with this I close, O little town of Bethlehem. And it goes on to say, Truly the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are amazed at your word and we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the Bible that, that speaks, Lord, that is truth. And Lord, we stand with this morning, we sit this morning just amazed at this plan of redemption, Lord, that it wasn't just a spur of the moment decision that you made. That over 350 promises in the Old Testament, over hundreds and hundreds of years written and given, all pointing to this one who would come. We thank you that your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And Lord, with that evidence, I pray that we put our trust in you. We thank you that our faith isn't blind. We thank you that your word, Lord, it increases our faith. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.